Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Randy, what have you been doing this week? Let's see, quickly, a lot of focus on React Native, um, where I started a project with a group at the University of Chicago for a research-based application. And we're using React Native on the front end, Firebase on the back end. So this is one of those things where we take a lot of the requirements that have been given to us and we start to map out how we're going to link that to the, the like what tech to use on the solution. So design-related stuff, research-related stuff. Um, a lot of my week has been tied to that. And well, let, let, let me and, before, before before you hit the end before you hit the end. Yeah. Did 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 the uh, did they drive the React requirement or is that you're you're driving that? Because I know you've also been diving a bit into Vue. They did not, but what they wanted was they they had a small budget and they want to have Android, um, an app for Android as well, and. I just told him that your budget, you need a hybrid or single build solution. There's no way you can afford a Swift developer and a Java developer. And and their, the app as it stands, the requirements don't require a lot of complexity that you might push outside of. You need Swift tools for this exclusively or Java. So it fit a really good place where um, we could build it in a React Native type of code base framework and get their get what they needed done in a smaller time frame. Okay, what what, what was your and? <laughs> oh, this ties into what you're, we're going to talk about today. I've been just reading a lot of emails from various companies that I forgot I ever had an association with. Oh, no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> what, so, what, have we'll, been, we'll, what have you been up to? <laughs> so, um, so we'll, we'll, yeah, I'll do what I've been up to. So we, um, it, it's the end of the school year. Um, we have friends who have uh, children graduating from high school. So went to a high school graduation yesterday. Um, and, and it, it's good time. Uh, they're, they're family. Uh, they're, they're just like family to us. So, awesome. um, but other than that, you know, uh, trying to figure out which of the five things I want to work on, I'm going to work on in that moment. So, um, but yes, so specifically to your, uh, your email inbox problem, which is a problem that all of us are facing right now. Um, the EU 18 months ago, maybe more passed a regulation called GDPR, the general data protection regulation that the core basics of it revolve around explicit consent, easy to read privacy notices, and the right to get your data deleted from, um, from their service if you choose. So, The initial, well, I don't want to go there yet. So what we've been doing within Aspire EDU is we've been trying to determine how that affects us. Um, we can go a bit into the details of it. The, the consent part um, is not really managed by us because we are a data processor. So the GDPR breaks entities into two different categories, data controllers and data processors. Mm -hmm. The data controllers are the ones who actually collect your data. They're the ones that will talk to you about, hey, we want to use your data for X. Is that okay? Um, And then they employ us to actually do the processing. So we don't have to go get consent. That's on the data controller. We probably do need to have a nicely written privacy notice. And our privacy notice now isn't covered in legalese, so we're probably covered there. Um, Where we're going to... um, I'm not going to say struggle, because I don't think we'll struggle. Where the most work will come in will be where a user, an end user of our client services say, I want my data deleted. Yeah. Um, 
So because our clients are schools, that's going to also say, I want my data deleted from your school. Okay. So I don't see this happening a lot. Um, it, it could happen that a student after they complete their coursework will say, delete all my data. And then we'll go through the, the mechanics of doing that. But I don't, I, I just don't see that happening a lot because people like to keep their school data intact. Um, but that's, that's really where we've been driving. And that's why you've been seeing the, uh, the emails is you've got all these companies saying, you now have to explicitly let us use your data for what you want, or we need to update our privacy notice so you can actually read it instead of having to hire a lawyer to read it. But let's, um, let's talk about the pattern we saw with the emails because what we saw over the last few months was a few companies at the forefront started sending out these notifications and all they said was we've changed our privacy. Like I, I noticed initially it was, we've made changes to our terms of service. We've made changes to our privacy policy. You should read this, what have you, or you need to approve this, whatever. And then we started to see this trickle in. Like you said, this is, it was almost to me like all the technology companies were in a room and they got assigned homework a year and a half ago. And they all waited to the very last minute, which is today. This is Friday, May 25th. We're recording this. And you just saw this deluge in the last week, which actually told me more about the human side of this is... There's a lot of companies that thought this wasn't a big deal until this month. And they started like, oh, crap. Everybody's starting to do this. What, do we, what did we do? Like, I don't know what it, how long it takes a company to get up to board on this. But it seemed to me like if all these companies are doing it at the last minute, like on a Thursday before the due date, that means they were scrambling the last month or two noticing that, oh, wait, if all these companies are actually taking it serious, so we need to do the same thing. Last time I saw this was Y2K, which had a way more press. But this time around, it seemed like, oh, crap, do we care about this? Maybe we really do now because I'm seeing so many providers doing it. That's what I saw and thought about it from the... Well, and this was... so so. We'll, we'll take a minute and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it like I explained it to my wife because I, I, I was going through my emails yesterday just deleting privacy policy after privacy policy. And I said, hey, have you noticed this? And she yeah. said, yeah. And I said, okay, so here's what happened. EU passed this regulation and what happened was that applies to any EU citizen. So most companies, I think, decided it didn't apply to them. Um, and then finally came to realize that if they have one user that is an EU citizen, they have to be ready to manage that one user. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know, and, and it's going to vary depending on the company. If I make a request to a company to delete my data, GDPR doesn't apply to me. I'm not an EU citizen. So... Are these companies going to delete my data or are they going to say, yeah, we are not doing that in your region yet? Um, that's an interesting side effect of all of this is are they going to treat users differently based on whether they're affected by GDPR or not? Let's let's not for the for the non-technical out there, let's not understate the complexity, difficulty. Um, and just sheer workload of deleting a user from your system. From backups. And from backups. And, and backups is a complete, we, we, we've had to do some reading on do backups apply? And the answer is nobody knows. Um, so it, it's, if you have one single database and you have three tables and one of them holds user information, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Um, it's, it's still not straightforward, but it's not that big a deal. So it's when you're it, hold on, it's when you're a larger company and, and you, you may want to break this down, but I, I want to make finish this point. It's when you're a larger company 
and you have five systems interlocking, passing data back and forth, all connecting it in different ways, that all of a sudden you're like, I have no clue how we're going to delete all this data from from our systems. Well, I I can't think of any application I've built for anybody, any size, that doesn't have a user ID all over the freaking place as an association. Like that user is the heart of almost every relational database I've built. There's just all these has many users, belongs to user, what have you. So the idea of a deletion is crazy to me. Um, Yeah. to, To think that I'm going to, like I have soft deletes as a practice the last few years for a lot of clients because you don't want to delete a user and all of a sudden you've lost order data, um, usage data, all these things. Now, can you just make the change the user's personal details to some other like nonsense name and say, this was a user that requested deletion, but we're going to keep the fact that this now phantom user made these actions. That's like, that's where I'm completely befuddled because if you flip it around there's a whole body of government that's like, don't delete things. We want to have a record of actions that people take. And I'm like, well, who do I answer to here? The privacy people or the financial people? And and that's where everybody is is like, we don't know what's going to happen here. And and yeah. that's where you and I, you and I batted this back o- back and forth over the past week. Um yeah, it, in in trying to trying to parse this because you're right uh there are some places where you have to maintain records for seven years well what if a user asks to have that information deleted how does that apply we don't know um maybe it's gdpr maybe it's covered in there because if you if your data was associated with like an outside government and in something involving a campaign finance database, it's really convenient to be able to say, I want that deleted and then say, well, I'm just, fo- I'm just following GDPR rules. Right. Right. For I mean, sure. like there's, it's just such a gray area. My assumption is that deletions will, be, that this deleted data, um, that the like well i guess the the whole subject of this episode is not gdpr it's more about dealing with things outside of typical scope of your job in a cto technical leadership role but we've already talked about two things that to me i want a lawyer to talk to me about more than i want to be the expert like i'm the expert i can be the expert on deleting something i can be the expert on archiving accessing crud on the record. But if you want to talk to me about policy, like I'm not an attorney. Yeah. I I don't, I don't deal. I'm not a compliance expert. I'm supposed to manage some of that, but it's more, I'm more, I always considered myself more of the execution where like, what is the role of a technical leader dealing with this stuff outside of normal scope? That's the bigger subject, right? And, and some of, some of the reading I've done, um, and some of the videos I've watched and trying to make sure I was as up to speed as I can. Um, there was one, um, webinar someone did where somebody put up a poll and said, okay, of everyone here, who thinks the who, who of the following entities is responsible for executing? And they put up it legal procurement, um, other, and most people said uh, IT and then other and then maybe legal got a few votes. Um, mm. And the next question was, who will be blamed if this is ex- <laughs> this is not uh, processed properly? And the, the percentage was even higher on the IT side. Um, when, when this is purely a policy decision, um, it is a legal decision the technical execution is on IT's hands. Yeah. But the responsibility for interpreting 
whatever the EU is, a collection of countries legal regulations that has zero to do with it you tell me what you tell me what you need done we'll go do it don't ask me to interpret law and and that's what that's what we've done and and as you said that's what kind of where i wanted to go with today's episode was this is outside our scope so what did we do I, uh, I, you and I both separately, because you, you, you were doing the for your clients as well, went and read stuff, went and watched videos. Um, I even opened the GDPR itself and started reading some articles because all the reading I was doing said, Hey, look at this article, look at this article. And based on that, based on the reading I did, the actual regulations, not not super wrapped in legalese. You you can read some laws and they're just impossible to parse. GDPR is pretty straightforward on parsing it. So it, it was actually uh, refreshing. But again, I'm not a lawyer. And the, the implementation of it was due today. So as of today, EU users can say, hey, can you delete my data? Or the regulators can say, did you get consent from all your users? Do you have a clear privacy policy? The other thing that I found really, before we get away from GDPR, because I think we're going to start to fade away from it here. um, The other part I found really fascinating was in, in the regulation itself, it said each member state is responsible for um, enforcement and for yeah. fines. I was like, holy cow, how many countries are there in the, in the, in the EU? And, and you're going to have that many plus a few different ways of interpreting the various uh, articles within the GDPR. I could easily see some countries saying we're going to be the privacy capital of the world and just use gdpr like a sledgehammer and just or whacking companies left and right that sounds like they have a a good motive for being privacy there's others of how's our financial situation right now (laughs) what can we squeeze out of the big players of data to fill our coffers. I mean, this is exactly the way that parking in Chicago works. You go to park, you go to LA and park, the prices are half. You go to Chicago, they're really high. It pushes people to the street. They get lots of tickets. So I do think that there's a regional money grab that could happen too. Um, I'm not sure where that money goes. Cause that's really interesting. Um, yeah. If, if, if I'm fined as a company, do the users get that? Does the enforcement agency get that? Does the EU get that? Because you're you're absolutely right. Where that money goes is also going to drive enforcement. Um, and and again, I think we're going to see a wide variety of it. And and without using the 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 wording you used um, uh, when we were discussing it last week that. The, the main question is, are we going to get caught up in the middle of this anyway? And the answer is yes, we're going to get caught up in the middle of it. And we just got to figure, we have to see how the early cases go. See who's out there really hammering on things. See, see what's going on. Um, and I don't know, but what... I don't know. I'm just going to throw out an idea. If if a specific country is enforcing it in a certain way, do you all of a sudden prohibit users of that country from using your service? Yes. Yeah. So uh, it, it, that that could be a way it goes as well. So I I think that you know, it depends, of course, on how many existing users, what your money, what revenues are coming out of there. But I think you'll find if one country is taking advantage of this rule against the common grain, you'll see companies say, Hey, like, I mean, this is no different than how Uber pulled out of cities out of Austin, Texas, when the regulations there got hairy, like they need that money's good, but 
especially in a big city that has very little trans public transportation. But they were like, we're not going to fight a, a government on this. We're just going to pull out until the public public pressure allows us to return, which is what happened. So I think you'll see that um, if a sp- specific country decides we're going to play the GDPR whack-a-mole game with rules and regulations that are not clearly defined. But the, I I guess I, 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 I'm fascinated by it, but I'm also, there's also part of me that's like, yeah, I I need to be concerned. But uh, there was another LinkedIn comment where somebody said, listen, we're all having these great discussions on how to implement it everybody's situation is different. There is no general solution to being prepared for GDPR. You all have to do it on your own. So at the end of the day, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is you can get sued and you're not going to be able to prevent that regardless. So, so that's, so what you just brought up is that suing thing is where I try to take, where I figure out where am I responsible as a technology person? I follow the risk. I'm like, okay, what are the risks here? Involving GDPR, is there a risk of a hacker getting our hold of our data and using it? No. GDPR doesn't have anything to do with um, me getting hacked. That's a technology risk that I need to protect. I, it's on my shoulders to handle. And if a if a company or if a government agency has a policy that presents legal risk, that's for an attorney to determine, in my opinion. Right. And so my discussions with clients recently has been, I will do what you need me to. You have to, but you have to employ the right people to tell me what your exposure and risk is as a company to this policy. And I am not qualified to guess and make that judgment for you, the risk there. So you need to employ someone that does that. They tell me how to mitigate that risk on a policy level. And I determine what technology things I need to execute. So there's a common thing where the I think there are attorneys that are trying to push it on the tech people. If you all need to follow this rule and I'm like, no, you need to interpret the rule first. And that's hasn't been very successful for some of my clients getting me direction on what they need me to do for them. Sure. So, so that, that, that that's an interesting point because I, I should just go start a legal firm, hire a couple lawyers that I, that can read up on GDPR and, and go start a consulting practice. Cause I think we'd make money. Um, yeah. but I, I do one of the, when I was doing the reading and the watching, one of the videos I was watching was essentially a commercial for, um, frictionless contracts. So what they were trying to say was, listen, as a data processor. So we talked a little bit about how the data processors have a little less responsibility as a data processor, what you need to do is you need to create a frictionless contract so that any of your controllers, you can just send them one contract to say, here's how we're going to handle it, deal with it. Um, and, And by the way, here's our service that allows you to make frictionless contracts. So yeah. it, it, again, it was, it was more of a sales pitch. They, there were a couple interesting points in there, I guess. Um, but just wrap circle here on GDPR real quick. Um, this is also the, the reading that, that we've done has made us um, at least know as much as we feel we can without being lawyers. Um, and we're going to try, I think, to put out a, a different product, um, a different different way of doing things uh, within CTO. I think we're going to put out a little short explainer video on it. There are plenty of explainer yeah. videos out there. Um, I don't know that ours is any better. You've seen a draft of the one I put together. Um, I think it's good. I think it's it's a it's meant to be. Here's GDPR in five minutes, um, and here's the things to go attack right now. And six months from now, that may have to change based on how we see uh, interpretation. But, but at, the, at the beginning of your 
of your video and on the bottom of every slide, you have a disclaimer. <laughs> I do. I am not a lawyer. Not legal advice. <laughs> and that tells you that tells you enough right there. This is a legal question. <coughs> like I, I'm not trying to tell the listener, hey, kick this to the curb because you're not a lawyer. I'm trying to, to really put it into this is one of the scenarios where if you try to become the expert without legal knowledge of how government policies and things go down, I think you're going to sell your company short. Well, and and okay. I, I I do want I do want to tell a quick personal story here, and 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 I think we will wrap on GDPR, um, and and it's a failing. Uh, it's something I I messed up um, on this a couple weeks ago. So we started talk. We we had looked at it initially. We're like, yeah, we know how to export data. We know how to delete data. We don't have a lot here. We have to deal with, but we were starting to get pressed on it. So we need to start coming up with a a, a singular answer. Um, yeah. So when that, that conversation started, I kind of kicked it back at the CEO. I'm like, yeah, go go see what the lawyer says about this. Um, that led to a week of nothing happening because, uh, the CEO was busy. Nobody, no, again, none of us really had urgency on this because we felt we had it covered. Um, and by kicking it to the curb, I kind of, I, I kind of abdicated my responsibilities a little. Um, yes, it's a legal question. I'm not going to back off from that. But as the technology executive, it was my responsibility to go do the learning that I could do and put it put put together a summary for the CEO saying, "Here's all the concerns I have. Here's all the risks I have. Now go to the attorney with these specific things." Yeah. And see what they say. See if they come up with anything additional. So that that's just a quick personal story on how I messed up the initial uh, review of it in in trying to kick it off my plate, and that that wasn't the right thing to do. So okay, um, that that was so so. In, but this leads to a broader topic, which is something I deal with a lot as well. Is in general, as technology executives. We do get a lot of things that are are either peripherally or directly responsible that we're responsible for, and yet they fall outside our our comfort zone. Um, GDPR is a perfect example. I think every technology executive has gone through that pain over the past month. Um, okay. Another example I face is we get security uh, information requests from potential clients. How do you, how, how is your data center secured? Um, is your data encrypted in transit or at rest? Um, do you have SOC 2 audits? Do you have SSAE 18 audits? Do you have um, Euro US privacy shield compliance. So a, a, a number of different things that are just outside of my comfort zone. Now, I, I certainly, what we've done over the time that we've been in the company is we've had to answer so many of these that the answer is almost always the same because the questions are almost always the same. So yeah. we, we built up a bit of knowledge um, and, and to be honest, it's also why we use a Heroku. It's why we use an Amazon Web Services. Because what I'm going to say is, I don't have, the only answer I can give you for data center security is what Amazon Web Services tells me. So yeah. here's a link to their page on their data center security. You want a SOC 2 report? Oh, I'll go request one from Amazon for you. Because SOC 2 doesn't cover a lot of what we do. It covers a lot of what they do. Um, mm -hmm. so again, it's, it's another reason to, um, outsource part of that is to, um, lean on their experts. Um, but that, that's, that's a concrete, that's another concrete example of 
things we're responsible for that are outside our comfort zone. Do you have an example of, of anything else that, that falls in that category? Oh, I mean, all throughout my career, I get people, clients have brought me questions and challenges that I'm not qualified to handle. And I always come back with, all right, if, if this, if the risk here falls onto my plate to handle and I am not qualified, I, but I, the responsibility is for me to find the person that does know and to find out, find out a cost efficient way. How can we get this information? So specifically I had to build an authorization, um, piece to an app that, you know, didn't allow for, like this is back when we were first getting APIs and mobile apps and stuff. And I had no idea how to set up authentication for this. And I hired a person for one specific task. I'm like, here are the requirements. I have no idea how to like fill these requirements, but I talked to three different people and my expertise was used in determining the best person to advise us at the right price. So because, and I did that based on having worked with tech, with engineers, having worked with professionals, having worked in the tech industry, I knew who's the one, who's the person blowing smoke up my butt on them being a consultant and who actually can give me the right information that I feel comfortable in having been educated about this. So I don't ever hesitate to go outside of just reading. I am like, this is my, you hire, I'm hired to be the person responsible for finding the answers by any means necessary. And when it delves into a lot of expertise that requires years of training or valid or certification, then you go and you hire that person. And it's on you, the elite tech leader, to make that choice to bring that person in. So I had to do it for um, when I worked at the finance finance company, we had audits because this is around the time that um, fraud, like Bernie Madoff, changed everything. And we started getting audits from clients trying to prevent another Madoff scenario. And I was getting these like fill out this whole form kind of thing. And I'm like, I don't know half the terms here. And I had to hire somebody to like, tell me, teach me, what does this mean? And what am I responsible for? And what would be your answer? And it helped because just like you, the questions were typically routine after a while. And I kept, I was just kind of like, here's our form. Tell me, tell me what is being left out of your questions and most often times people are like, oh, this suffices and I didn't have to do anymore. But what I didn't do was say, oh, I'm going to become the expert on this level of compliance because that wasn't really what my my role was. My role was to manage our company being in compliance by whatever means we needed. We weren't going to hire a full time compliance person at our size but I, there was nothing wrong with hiring an expert to come in and advise us on it. Right, right. So I, I do think, and and I'd love to have a, a security expert come on to, to talk about this sort of thing, but you, you hit on a point there, which is some of the institutions we deal with are large universities. Um, yeah. And they have IT staff probably close to 100, if not more. Um, so they have security officers, okay? They have a whole security department, data security department, um, which they should, absolutely. Um, and they come to us with requirements. And I'm not going to say that the requirements are less upon us because we're a small company. Um, we all have to be secure when we're managing the data. What I'm curious about, though, and this is where I'd love to talk to a, a security person about it, is how do you approach that same standard of a SOC 2 audit or any of these other certifications that cost 
tens of thousands of dollars to apply for where that would eat a significant portion of our profits for a year just to get that done. And by the way, you probably have to have it done every year. Um, what does the certification buy us when we're doing the things? And, and <laughs> I, I put it that way because that, that was exactly what, um, what the latest request came, came from. It came from their security officer and he said, I have no reason to doubt any of the things they're telling me. I just want to make sure they're doing the things with doing the things in all capital letters. So yeah. um, it, it, it it's interesting how a small business should approach these certifications, these the rigor required for a lot of these things, as opposed to a large enterprise that is staffed up and lawyered up for this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that that that's where I would say a lot of. Um, a lot of the difficult work, um, within Aspire EDU is, is, is in working outside the comfort zone, the managing of the technical projects and all that, that's, that's second nature for the most part. Um, even the, the crises that come up, those are, uh, you and I've been around long enough. We've seen enough crises that we, we, we know how to manage a crisis. Um, but it's, it's these, outside the comfort zone, outside our knowledge area. Um, I think your, your advice is sound as far as go get an expert that can do that. I also know there are startups that would say, okay, that's going to cost us thousands of dollars that we just don't have. So you're going to have to go figure out as best you can what the answer is. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, well, let's talk about that because – Risk management is never about um, being 100% risk-free. It's about weighing the costs and like, benefits of being prepared at certain levels on certain things. So if you're startup, if a startup, if you're working for a startup or you're working for any company, they say to you, if we are not in compliance with this, we can't sell our product enough to make money. We can't stay in business. We will perhaps suffer fines so significant that it would put us out of business. Then that's your. Then you have a very good idea about how important is a is it for us to be in compliance with this. Right now, I guarantee you, there are companies out there going back to GDPR that are just ignoring it right now. For they sure. just are like, For sure. we don't care, or it's not a big deal. I think that is, in almost every case, a horrible approach to just not care. I don't necessarily think that a firm that's saying, we're not doing anything right now, we've weighed the risk, and we don't think it's that big, that anyone that gets hit will be Google or Microsoft, and we'll see how that happens. That's a valid strategy. It's a valid strategy to say we are thinking about it. We've done the research. We're making a choice that we don't think that this will hit us and we are going to focus on features and other things. I feel like that's way better than just saying not worth our time to even care about. So I, I feel like it's all about how it's driven to you. Again, we talked about policy risk, but any type of risk that comes at you in an area that you don't have expertise, you weigh where it's how important it is versus what time and money you have to invest in make, taking care of it. A hundred percent, fifty percent, twenty-five percent, or well, we give it a nominal glance. And there right. in. And in this world, you are never going to have all the money and time you need. Now, if a, if a company executive comes to me and says, you are in charge of GDPR, you have no budget, and we're not going to give you extra time, then there's an employment question there about, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're asking me to do something that's outside of my expertise, and I have no budget and time to work on it, but I have all these existing demands. And I've been in those conversations on not compliance, but just here's, you're giving me too much. 
for one person to, to handle, what, what is going away here? That's the same thing is if you're not going to let me hire an expert, I'm not a lawyer. Where do you expect the, something's going to break here. Where's our breaking point on where we, you know, step back on a hundred percent compliance or what, how are the company is handling it? I tend to work with reasonable people. And so we never have a, a real debate on it. It typically is a more of an issue if you're working for someone that cannot look at things in a rational way. But I think it's, I think all these situations, you are always approaching them as what is the risk level? What are the resources available to handle the risk? And what is the worst outcome versus the most likely outcome? Granted any, we take one of these pathways to choosing it. Sure. And that's how I approach all this stuff. But what I have found over the years is that nothing is quite as devastating as you as it comes out from the press. And you usually will cover 80% of everything by just reading up on it and knowing what is involved. And then you find out from users, clients, the 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 attorney that works for your company or whatever. This is what we really feel is the biggest risk and we need to handle that. And it's never 100% of everything. Take, like we don't need to be a company that is a GDPR expert. Um, and I would say working for smaller companies, I like to pay attention to what the bigger companies do. And so I got a lot of knowledge off of what Postmark, um, the company I, that I outsource a lot of email delivery, did a terrific I mean, one of the most excellent blog posts about how their company handled GDPR. And I just learned so much from the way that they phrased it. And I felt like I walked away from the reading that as, oh, I'm much more informed now. And I care actually a lot less about this than I thought because they did a lot of the research and work and then just handed it over. And they didn't, they didn't say that you know, they said we are not lawyers and we're not 100% on this. But I came away from it all think, knowing that, oh, everybody's winging this right now. I'm no different. I just need to be sure that I can answer questions about it to clients and direct them in the right way if they decide that this matters to them. Yeah, and, and, and I, 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 I want to go ahead and bring that around to the, to the beginning again, and that may be where we end up is one of the things I read was go read the article on the fines and see what they take into account when they're determining what the fines will be. Once I read that, and again, it was not legalese. It was plain English. Once I read that and I read that they're looking for negligence they're looking for intentional negligence. They're yeah. looking for, um, I don't remember the term, but they're looking for intentional behavior. All of a sudden I was like, okay, they're not out here trying to screw companies just for making mistakes. They're out here trying to punish the intentionally bad, whether it's through intentional behavior or intentional negligence. Yeah. If you do your due diligence, and you put things in place based on my non-legal reading of this legal document, you're going to be in a good place. You're going to have a basis to at least have a conversation. Again, we, you want to get into worst case scenarios? Yes. One of these countries is going to come out and say, not, not the way we interpret it and be done with it. Um, well, Let's put this in a non-technical example because I have a really good one that happens around Chicago. Um, food uh, restaurant inspections. We have a very rigorous restaurant um, like system for inspections and compliance on a health code, like a lot of big cities do. As you get into smaller towns it drops significantly how much regulation. And restaurants here have a problem where in the past, you had to pay off the, the inspectors and they would leave you alone. And because of, the, of Chicago getting better on patronage and that kind of stuff, 
They've eliminated a lot of the bot of the the people that were unqualified to be inspectors to a degree, to some degree. But what you do find is that you'll be watching, I think Yelp or every block will report inspections and you'll see this whole line of inspections up a whole street. All of a sudden, one day, failure, 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 failure. And the pattern suggests that an overzealous inspector walked through and found every little thing they can find that was wrong. And based on how that particular restaurant responded to that person, they got hammered a lot more. Now I, that's, I'm taking a lot of re I'm, I'm taking a lot of Liberty with how I'm assessing this, but when the, when a newspaper comes in and, and interviews a restaurant about this inspection process, you hear a lot about bias. You hear a lot about like that's that the assessment of us being negligent was biased or excessive. So I guess the point I want to make is when you interpret something in a document as, oh, you need to show negligence to actually be guilty, there's still a hu- large part of human emotion and bias that comes into play on does a regulator go after you on something you did wrong? And that is a big risk there that is hard to mitigate on just reading out a statement on a piece of paper because almost every regulatory body has somebody like if you get into the business of regulators or it's kind of like the hammer and nail. If you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you're a regulator and you really take that job seriously, you like what level of perfection do you go after? I don't tend to run into problems with regulation regulators and stuff, but you always do have that person that's having a bad day and how do they assess what you did wrong and what penalty do they put it to you at? So there is the there's a level of human error there. Um, or bias that I think you have to keep in consideration with that stuff. Right. Right. For sure. For sure. So I, I want to wrap up the whole conversation on, on two notes that came across Twitter as we were talking. Um, one is, and, and it's awesome that we're doing this episode today because um, mm-hmm. today will be the no- most newsworthy day, I think for a while. Um, but, there, there's a, and I'm going to use the exact term the, the Reuters article used. There's a lawyer and privacy activist, okay, and I, I emphasize the word activist, that has already filed complaints against Google, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp oh, based, sure. on, um, based on the fact that you have to consent or you cannot use their service, and that's a violation of GDPR. I don't interpret it that way, but Already you're seeing the start of what's to come. Yeah. So there's a lot to come. So that was on the, that was on the more factual side, on the lighter side. Um, you, uh, I, I assume you know what uh, LexisNexis is. Yeah. LexisNexis has been around forever. It's one of the first technology things we've ever heard. We probably ever heard of, right? Yeah. It's a database of legal documents, if I remember right, and legal journals and things like that. Um, there was a, uh, a somebody put out a Twitter post that LexisNexis is so old school that they actually sent a letter to everyone <laughs> in, in uh, regarding compliance with GDPR as opposed to an email. So. Yeah. Um, Last question, because you brought up food regulations. You also grew up in the state of Georgia, which has the rating system for for uh, for food inspections, mm-hmm. um, where you got a grade from something to a hundred. At what number do you go? Yeah, I'm not eating here today. That 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 was always my question. If there's an eighty-two, am I eating there? Or am I not? Oh, well, I don't know. Like, I guess. Have I gone into a restaurant that will advertise <laughs> their 80 rating? Dude, the answer, they don't have a choice. It's got to be in it's got to be in public view. I've never I've never turned around from a I haven't gone to many restaurants that have a number that low. I have let me put it a different way. I have canceled Uber rides when the rating is 
below a four or below a four two because I'm like, this person's about to get kicked off of Uber and I don't want to be in their ride at this level. <laughs> so that I have made that judgment on the food grade. There are restaurants right now that I will not recommend to people because I have noticed they have failed every once a year they fail. Um, and I feel like that's too much. Like there are restaurants. Well, that's showing that's showing that they're cutting corners. So that, they're that getting lazy. Sense. It's really about getting lazy. They get caught because they get lazy on very routine things. It's always about food storage and temperature almost all the time or animal infestation. And yeah. that's, but then there's a company, there's a restaurant down the street. They got hammered for the first time in four years. And the number of issues that came up, I was like, Oh, somebody mouthed off to the inspector and they just hammered them because all of the things, right. all of the things were correctable within minutes. And there was, right. and they talked to the press and they're like, this is kind of crap because we like this person was brand new to inspecting and they took everything literally and they didn't treat, they didn't even communicate with our staff like a human being should. And so, but going back to your question, I will walk into a barbecue place with a rate rating of 80 because I don't expect any good barbecue to come out of a hundred, a hundred percently clean place. There's gotta be, That's some, absolutely there's gotta be some grime in that barbecue. <laughs> for sure. For sure. All right. Well, I think that took us to the end and um, we've got a, we've got a long week ahead of us, which to me, I, I don't know how you, how you treat them, but Long weekends are more opportunity for me to get more done because I don't I don't have as many people to pick up the phone and answer um, them calling. Yeah, I so learn, I see I learn a lot. as opportunities to work more and learn more. So um, I guess uh, you can consider that re- relaxing. But I'm not reading a damn thing about GDPR though. I guarantee you that. <laughs> I expect you to watch my video at least one more time. Oh, I'll do that. I, uh, <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. All right. All right. Very good. We will uh, talk again next week. Yep, yep. Later. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach. Licensed by premiumbeat.com. Voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week.